Let's go down to the urban homestead, Pasadena by the freeway. Right down there on the urban homestead, Jules and his family are working away. Come on down to the farm in the city, back to the future, back to the plan. Right down there on the urban homestead, loving the life back into the land. Oh, 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 help the garden grow, singing. Oh, 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 we've got to help the garden grow. Welcome to the Urban Homestead Radio. We are your hosts, Anise, Justin, Jordan. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today. Um, it's a pleasure to be yeah. here. And this is a beautiful place. You've got all these beautiful organic vegetables mm-hmm. hanging around mm-hmm. here in the shade in mm-hmm. Pasadena. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. cool and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. This yeah. is really nice. Yeah, thank you. Doesn't everybody wish they had a backyard like this? <laughs> this is great. I think a lot of people wish we had cows, too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. my sister. She, yeah, she was on her way from work and she can't wait to meet you. Like I said, she'd try to put a cow in if she could. So. <laughs> all right. So. Yeah. I like to, you know, um, want to hear more about your story and, you know, how your, you know, what your passion, you know, organic dairy is. And so you said you started Organic Pastures in 1999, so it's almost two, 20 years ago. So what started you on that journey? Well, we didn't start Organic Pastures as a raw dairy. Mm-hmm. We started as a dairy that was contracted with Organic Valley. And actually, my first plan was to do goats. I was actually wanting to convert what we were producing on our farm, which was organic feed, into something of higher value. So we think, okay, we'll feed goats. And there was no organic goat milk in California. So we contacted the, the powers that be to see if we could get a contract for organic goat milk. And there was interest there, but not really pioneering, let's go do it first interest. Yeah. And Organic Valley was established doing cow's milk. And uh, I quickly got a contract, a nice contract with Organic Valley to produce milk that was sold out to be pasteurized. Well, lo and behold, I didn't realize that in May of 1999, Altadena went out of business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was no more raw milk in LA. Exactly, because we used to get there you go. Altadena. Not too yeah. far from yeah. here. Yeah. Altadena. Yeah. It was Chino, I think it was in Chino. Yeah. yeah they're, they're from and we went right. to visit Right, close there. by here. Yeah. So here we are in Fresno, minding our own damn business. <laughs> <laughs> and people, sorry about that, Pooch. And what do you know? People started showing up their ice chest saying, we want your milk raw. I said, what? What do you need? What? Uh, I wasn't even drinking it. Although my wife and I both remember that we grew up on it when we were, I was on a dairy when I was small and her, her grandfather was a dairy woman when she was just a baby. So we had experiences when we were younger, but we really didn't have any recent consumption experiences with, with raw milk. So people told us, listen, you should be producing raw milk for us. And your cows are on grass, it's all certified organic. And we were selling this black market out of the bottom of the milk tank, <laughs> hand-bottled milk to people going to LA. And within just weeks, people were saying, you've got to bring this milk to LA. And we did. I think one of the most telling experiences we had was, was when we took the, the, uh, the Suburban to LA. Yeah. And we had like 100 half gallons of milk in the back and ice chest. This is early on. This is like January, February of 2000, 17 years ago. 
And we went down to a little place called The Garage, James Stewart's little place mm -hmm. there in Dennis Beach. Mm -hmm. And uh, before we arrived, we'd taken all these cell phone calls, the early cell phones, 17 years ago, they were big boxes, right? <laughs> and we had literally everybody saying, we need some, we need some, we need some. And people were paying like a lot of money, mm -hmm. like 10 bucks a half gallon. It was just crazy. And I was like, this is nuts. It's like 10 times more than we're getting from the, from the creamery. So we arrived in this alleyway. And this alleyway was crowded with people. I swear, it was like, what was it like? It was it like. It was very surreal. It was very <laughs> surreal. Good, good point. Drove in very slowly, wouldn't hit anybody because they were like crowding around us. I felt like it was like the UN dropping rice in a starving, like, African nation. They were clapping, surrounding. Like, yeah, like, yay! And, you know, beating their chests and I want some and yay! I was like freaking out. I'm going, whoa, here's an organic dairyman that have really not been in contact with a lot of crazy, raw, bad people, right? So. We drove in, we opened up the back, we were greeted, and Blaine and I started taking money and giving out milk literally as fast as we could. And we were done in 10 minutes. And Blaine took a call. Want to tell that part of the story? Well, I didn't take a call. You, you, you took, uh, I mean, you took a, 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 a mother request. approached me, and she was visibly uh, distraught. She was, she was crying, shaken. she was kind of shaking, and she... She was late, she came in late. Yeah, she came in a little late, and... Um, and when she realized that the product just vanished very gone. quickly, she kind of, and she was very quiet. She wasn't as, as outspoken as the others that were there. And she was, she said, my child has uh, cerebral palsy, very sick, and did so much better when she had the raw milk. And she's quite a bit declined since she lost our, we lost our raw milk source. She goes, I really need this for my daughter. She's sick. I need this milk. Now, this is a nurse. She's talking to Blaine. Yeah, Blaine's a nurse so, with compassion in her heart, right? Yeah, so I just like, that moved me. I thought, wow, she's regarding this as a healing uh, a necessary, food for necessary her child. Food, yeah. So I kind of went to a person that I knew that they had taken a lot. They had gotten a lot. They kind of were uh, <laughs> and I said, listen, I just need to, I need to get some of those back for you. She needs it more than you do. She needs it for not just because she likes it and she loves it. Her, her child really needs this for her well-being. And, and that was kind of the, a pivotal moment for Mark and I as we drove back home to the farm. It's a four-hour drive, three-and-a-half-hour drive. Just going, what just happened? What just happened? What just happened? And not so much... I mean, it was kind of cool or kind of impressive how... Buried in $20 bills, you know, <laughs> and an empty chest. It was like, but the human thing was so powerful. Like, what just happened? Why do people want yeah, this milk so and, badly? And just like, but more than anything, it's like, why does someone think this is so medicinal or so essential to their child? So that started our whole... That was our beginning. Beginning and of this. And from that, um, we... we we literally contacted the state of California and said, we need to build a small creamery. They said, fine, this is what you got to do. And we, in 90 days, we had a little creamery together. We started bottling the milk legally. Mm -hmm. And we were in 100 stores within six months wow. in, in, down in L.A. What did Whole Foods um, Whole Foods told me, when I called him up, said, mm -hmm. I called the dairy case guy, Fresno. I said, hey, how would you like some organic certified raw milk? He goes, how fast can you drive down here? <laughs> so that was kind of the, the welcome that we had was we never called stores. They called us. Because once we put up a website that bragged about our product, mm -hmm. people started calling stores saying, get it here delivered here it was consumers contacting the, the dairy case manager saying get that product in here and the dairy case people calling us saying deliver it please so it was not us buying shelf space or anything it was a consumer driven kind of thing and uh, the one piece that we're missing here is i was a certified paramedic for 17 years until 1996 i was 
up at midnight taking care of anything you can imagine you can call 911 for, right? A lot of that was asthma. A lot of that was people having serious problems with illness. So it was, it was near and dear to my heart that there was something more to medicine than a pile of FDA-approved drugs by the bed. Because whenever I went into a house, there was always this pile of medications next to people that are trying to die, right? Rescue me, rescue me, and spend a million dollars on my last 10 days of life. There was never any good food in the house. And that came full circle for me because now we could spend the next chapter in our lives preventing disease versus going and acutely spending a million dollars to try to save somebody after they've gone through this hellhole of FDA drugs and disregard for health and obesity and seizures and cardiac disease, all this kind of stuff, which can be re- prevented through nutrition and exercise and personal responsibility. So it was, a, it was a real good gear shift going from one chapter, which is acute care and being exhausted with everybody's problems, to going into creating good solution and listening to people and actually working with doctors and researchers and becoming a paradigm of shift to prevent disease through nutrition. And Blaine and I are so committed to it. I mean, we're way over our heads in this thing. We totally love it. Our grandchildren have grown up under this. We've seen it. It's not miraculous. It's good science. It's biology. It's confirmed by the Human Genome Project. I mean, everybody that knows anything knows that gut is where disease begins. Hippocrates said it loud and clear 2,300 years ago. We've just forgotten it, right? And the bottom line is, we need to bring that back to the foremost of our lives, is that little communities like what you've got here at Urban Homestead with these wonderful organic uh, fuels for the body and nutrition and prevention and the probiotics for the gut food, the raw milk, the kefirs, that's where we should be driving to, to have better healthcare outcomes in our country. That's the genesis of how we began. Now we're mm-hmm. 105 employees and 22 trucks going to 600 stores every week, 22 farmers markets, milking 500 cows and 500 acres pasture with a brand new milk barn that's rocking awesome. <laughs> and things are really, really solid going forward with that wonderful consumer connection that so many farmers wish they had, don't even know what it is they're missing. And we've dedicated from day one in Venice Beach at the garage mm-hmm. to being cons- mm-hmm. consumer connected. So pretty, pretty interesting story. Yes. Yeah, because like I said, we remember Altadena. Yeah. Area, and we would have their little truck come to We know deliver. the Stoobies. Yeah, the Stoobies were the, yeah. Yeah. we know Lloyd and, yeah. and Gary. And, and that was uh, like heartbreaking when they was like, wow, no no more right. raw milk. Because like I said, we grew up on raw milk in Florida, and we would trade our raw honey for raw goat's milk. Right. So as kid, you know, right. kids, we grew up in that, and when we came, came here, you know, Altadena Dare was great, and then they closed, and then of course then you came in. So that's wonderful. So what people, like, I know there's a lot of people that know about raw milk, so hence the, the mob that you know greeted you in Venice, but people are coming at you new and have no clue, and they're like, "Well, is it milk, milk? What's the difference? Is it? I've it's heard raw, raw milk is dangerous. Yeah. You know, you get a, yep. t- You know what? If a newbie came to this, how tonight I'm going to be doing a presentation right. at Culture Club about mm-hmm. this whole thing and talk about it in more depth. But you know, there's so many things to talk about with mm-hmm. raw milk. The history of raw milk. It had a dark age associated mm-hmm. with it, about 100 years in the late 1800s, early 1900s, where a lot of people died from it. But prior to that, in the 1700s, it was a means to thrive. And even going back further, that's because everybody had a cow next door and the cow was on grass and they weren't concentrated together and the water was clean because the rivers were coming by and all that kind of stuff. But when you start bringing cows into downtown New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, and feeding them distiller's grains in a filthy mess where there's tuberculosis everywhere and typhoid fever and the people milking the cows came through Ellis Island, they were the poor and down, you know, down, downtrodden, not the rich and the healthy. Um, you had a major problem. You had a, a, a situation where 30 to 40% of the people that drank that particular kind of milk in downtown uh, distilleries dairies were dying. They called it the milk problem. That old milk problem kind of came to a head in 1893 with the advent of parboiling, which was the early form of pasteurization. It was brought in by, uh, by Strauss in, in, from France. 
By the way, Pasteur never pasteurized any milk in the United States ever. The parboiler was part of the beer and winemaking system in Europe to get rid of the bacteria so the yeast would grow. And that was brought in as a solution in downtown uh, uh, Philadelphia, New York, to actually parboil or, or pasteurize to basically cook the milk to get rid of bad bugs. And it worked pretty well. It didn't work perfectly because there was still a lot of deaths that occurred because the water quality was so poor. And water quality and, and food sanitation all go together. So, you know, in 20 years, oh, it worked pretty well. And so you could create this really cheap, dirty milk and get away with it because you had a solution that was industrial. And mankind was beating their chest going, yeah, we can do anything, we're in charge. And at the same time, in 1893, Dr. Coit brought in the idea of, wait a minute, we want raw milk for our children, but we want it to be safe. So kind of divergence there. You had safe raw milk coming off as pasteurized. You had safe raw milk coming off as inspected dairies by a board of physicians, the American Association of Medical Milk Commissions. The last AAMMC certified dairy was Altadena, 100 years later. 106 years later. So it's very interesting history here in terms of how that all went. But raw milk and pasteurized milk lived in parallel in somewhat harmony for many, many years. There was thousands of certified raw milk dairies in the United States and in Europe. But uh, through two world wars, World War I, World War II, um, the advent of antibiotics, the advent of the fact that we didn't really want to spend a lot of money on our food, we were, we were really bankrupt by these wars. So by 1940s, we're saying, wait a minute, we've got answers to everything. DDT was good for your skin. Smoking was good for your asthma. Nuclear bombs fix social problems. Okay. Mankind was in charge of the world. We could do anything, including killing everything to do it. So we were thinking of cheap food, not worrying about quality food. We were not thinking about nutrition. We were thinking about just cheap available food. And we were being whitewashed, just brainstormed by everything out there was cheap and industrial solution. And that kind of segued in the death of the raw milk movement because it was always more expensive. And you know, raw milk was much more expensive. It would take more labor to do that. You had to have ice to chill it. You had to worry about people getting sick. You're quality, quality. Where pasteurized milk, anything goes. Just cook it. So that was kind of the, the beginning of the end of, of, of raw milk. But it's interesting that in the 1950s and 60s, even the USDA talked about the best cheese are raw. The best cheeses are raw. Didn't talk so much about milk, but best cheeses are raw. And that kind of died off by the 70s. So we find ourselves today having a grand awakening with the advent of the human microbiome study, which is $4 billion of our hard-earned money being spent at the NIH to discover that, in fact, bacteria are critical, <laughs> critical to life. And we are bacterial sapiens. Without bacteria, we die. And we can become immune-depressed, become um, autoimmune ill. We get gut problems. We get all kinds of things go crazy in our bodies. And we're rediscovering it, and Western medicine does not know what to do with that data. They go, wait a minute, this is completely in contradiction to the last 70 years of the miracle of antibiotics. And now we're in the 10th generation of antibiotics killing everything, right? And the sterilized foods, and the fact that long shelf life is brought on by preservatives in the food, which just suppresses bacteria. So everything's been antibiotic. Well, now we're in the world of, wait a minute, we've really destroyed so much of what makes us human and screwing up our bodies and our ability to deal with the environment we're in, we're getting sick. And the stories are just tremendous about how Crohn's disease is getting us and inflammation and, and killing people. C. diff, 20,000 people a year. What's the treatment for C. diff? Fecal transplants. Oh my God, that's too radical. But that's, that's what's going on now where we're having full circle now. We're going, wait a minute. We're not apart from nature. We're part of nature. And bacteria is life form which makes Earth green and wonderful and livable. It's good bacteria. Yeah, they it did good. The, it's the good bacteria. They did the antibacterial soap craze. Yeah. And yes, everything. and that's phased and out now. And then the FDA, FDA <laughs> even cracked down on that. because Triclosan was, in the 1990s, the thing to go do. Now it's like, no, 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 take it out because it's causing antibiotic resistance. Yeah. 
Yeah. Messing with your genes and your DNA. You, of course, and, and then us, you know, younger generation. I remember growing up as kids, we'd go to par- parties or things, and none of the people, kids had, oh, we well, can't eat that, can't have that, can't have this, right. can't have that. Allergies for this, allergies for that. It was like, it was happy, curfree, everybody ate everything, anything, and then all of a sudden, just, can't, you know, all this stuff started coming in. You grew up on in. white bread and, and white sugar. There's so nothing, we've got nothing's vegans, in there. We've got gluten-freeze, we've got vegetarians, so all this happens. stuff, and all these allergies and allergies mm-hmm. out, and sensitivities and warnings, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's crazy, crazy, because of leaky gut syndrome. In fact, we no longer have a digestive tract, which is actually the compost pile of life, it's not working right to be able to digest and keep the bugs in check and have the balance of good bugs and bad bugs in the right proportions. Now we got to welcome that for bad bugs and you got kids sick. Mm-hmm. It's bad news. And this goes deeper and wider than we can really talk about today, but the bottom line is we're driven by this bacterial DNA. That's what the Genome Project said was, we are the bacterial DNA. The contributions are huge in terms of how we manifest our genetics. This generation can act like this or like this, going either way, left or right, depending on the bacterial DNA and the role that it has. Now, how do you bring good bacteria to your body? It's through the prebiotics and the probiotics of your food. That's what drives us. Hippocrates is so right, it's not even funny. Hippocrates was dead on. It's just we've lost that message. It's being brought now by the organic revolution and now even beyond the organic because so many organics are highly processed that we have to get back to something, I don't know the word raw is the right word, but the unprocessed forms of organic, which is the the sunshine and the earth and the rain and the sun and, and the earthworms and the, and the soils that are so critical to life on earth and really manifestly praising them and cherishing them and rewarding them and supporting them and, and eating from them, that's where we need to go. And by the way, that makes a beautifully verdant green world. It's the carbon sequestration. Everything's more in balance than where we are today, which is exploit- exploitive versus helping out Mother Nature. Yeah, and you said you just mentioned before things, so do no harm. Also do no harm. And so it also was yeah. was there any like I mean was there any challenges that you faced like recently either with the drought or with the government or with uh, legislation? Legislation. I know we were talking about the drought before we came on about how the we were affected by the drought. I don't know if the sure. rising cost of feed or rising cost mm-hmm. of stuff. Well, we're able to set our own prices, which makes us completely separate from the market, mm-hmm. so we can be able to afford the water to be able to irrigate our pastures to keep them green. So that makes us a little separate from that. But we've had challenges, not so much recently in the last five to seven years, but the first eight or nine years of our existence, we're faced with ser- several serious challenges that occurred. I don't think that the state of California really appreciated or realizing what they let loose when they gave me my dairy permit in 2001 <laughs> because of the passion and the interest and the knowledge and the concern about health and the fact that it's going to become the fourth-ranked brand of organic milk in the United States of America, becoming the third-ranked brand. We're, pasteurized, we're not pasteurized, everybody else is. So that's pretty profound when you think about that. That's data monitor data uh, on dollar volume of gallons sold. So uh, they didn't realize that. We had conflicts, we had huge hearings in the state of California where we had uh, Senator Dean Flores supported some, a bill. It passed both the houses of Congress, but it was vetoed by Schwarzenegger. It's very interesting. We went ahead and did that, what uh, SB2, uh, 210 was going to do, or SB201 was going to do which was have a fit written food safety plan for production of raw milk, not just let one little test that the state does once a month, but rather daily testing and intensive monitoring and a systems approach from grass to glass. Instead of just going, oh, once in a while we'll test, no, 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 no. You need to look at this thing continuously and, and more intensively. And that's what we did. We did it voluntarily. We didn't wait for the state to do it. We did it. I will say this, that the FDA lags by 10 years uh, everything we do. 
everything we do, it lags by 10 years. We see this in other examples. Burger King, E. coli. They fought against the change of Burger King when Burger King said, and Jack of the Box, that they didn't want E. coli 157A7 in their hamburger. They said, no, 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 it's expected to be in, in meat. And Burger King and Jack of the Box said, nope, we aren't going to have it in there. If you're going to be one of our suppliers, it's going to be pathogen free. Well, the FDA fought against that for years and years. What's the FDA? They're truly representatives of industry that don't like change because they like the old way it is. Well, industry changed their ways because they got sued and they said, we're not going to do that kids anymore. And as a result, Jack of the Box and Burger King actually said, wait a minute, if you're going to be our supplier, it's going to be pathogen free. And they did tests on that to assure that it was. And we're also going to turn up the temperature to 160 degrees from 155 or was it 60, 165 to 160 on the temperature of the hamburger to make sure these little suckers die. So FDA did not approve that change. They didn't approve it for 15 years. They were going to turn up the hamburger patty change to a little bit higher temperature. So the FDA lags true progress. So as pioneers, a good question, Justin, is we don't look to government to lead us to anything. They're a little bit behind us in the dust, and some are way behind us in the dust. And what we are is pioneers, and pioneers lead. And sometimes they bleed. Make their own rules. <laughs> sometimes they bleed because nobody's helping them. They're doing it alone. The only thing we got with us is moms and dads and families that love what we do, and we are driven by their passion. So pioneering is kind of an interesting thing. It's a dangerous thing to go out in front and do it. But, boy, pretty quickly behind you see example. You know, we become a good example. People follow quickly. And eventually government comes along because government is oven by the people. Eventually they get it. But it takes time and building markets and teaching like crazy to get that progress made. Yeah, because my one of my uh, our dad's favorite. Um, well, he actually made the quote. He says, "You know, the corporation can't do it. The government won't do it. You know, it's it's just up to you." It's up to you, exactly right. That was one of that, his little thing. I think it's. Like, I think it's pretty it's special. Quote, that quote, yeah, change begins. With yeah, change begins yeah, with me. We're we're like, greater than all the industrial systems and regulatory government agencies and FDA and USDA and CDFA. We're greater than them all together yeah. because we form a new paradigm of belief. And if if it works for us. They will someday regulate it, and they will someday <laughs> be a public. But they'll eat a lot of dust before the now and then because they just don't like change. Yeah. And so, and um, so, like you said, let's continue on the people who are new, maybe and are not familiar sure. with, um, you know, raw milk. What are the health benefits? Like they say, well, what's a you know, milk is milk. Let's bring it back to let's bring it back to day one. Mm -hmm. Let's bring it back to day one, and that is when a baby is born. The baby does not have an immune system, or virtually none. The baby has no bacteria in the gut, per se, and is born through the birth canal, just lathered up with all kinds of stuff from mom, okay? And where does it go? It goes to the breast, a non-sterile place to suckle colostrum, and gets immune transfer from mom for a couple days, and then milk comes on, and she gets raw milk. Well, in that process, you get in the digestive tract all of those wonderful things that came from mom, slathered all over the baby's body, plus these wonderful things from mom's breast, which is not sterile. And doctors say that's a fantastic thing now. They say breastfeeding is fantastic. Do it as long as you can. So there's pretty much universal or almost universal agreement that breastfeeding is good for babies. Okay? Now, what the heck is breastfeeding about? What is in breast milk? Well, enzymes are all vital and alive and active. Lots of beneficial bacteria. There's 700 different kinds of bacteria found in breast milk. Not that it comes from inside the breast, it comes on the breast and from the breast. Antibodies created especially for the baby from the mom. 
Now, cows don't make that antibody specifically. They've got antibodies, but that's the one specialized thing that mom's breast milk is for babies is specialized antibodies for the, the problem the baby has, shares with mom. So there's a custom breast. There's also lysozymes, oligosaccharides, and a whole laundry list of things that are made specifically, protein specialized in all kinds of things, in breast milk, in raw milk, to make it the first food of life to optimize the health and strength of that child. And they all say, hey, breastfed kids get higher IQ. They do this, they do that, they're fantastic, they speak earlier, they walk faster. You know, they do all this kind of stuff. Well, that's a great thing to recognize as a doctor because guess what? Raw milk from a cow, goat, sheep, horse, camel provides exactly the same benefits, shy of perhaps the antibodies which are specialized for mom. But they're the great follow-on food. So why would you say that pasteurized milk would be a better option when all the enzymes are destroyed, all the bacteria have been blown apart by pasteurization, they've been lysed, now become the most allergenic food in America because these proteins are all over the place, totally chaotic, and now it becomes listed as the number one most allergenic food in America at the FDA website. Pasteurized milk, number one. Enzymes are lost, including alpha-phosphatase, which is now found to be a very anti-inflammatory enzyme. And the French Paradox, the old French Paradox uh, study found that the raw cheeses that the French drink uh, eats are very powerful in terms of answering the question about why they are so disease-free and live long lives without cardiac disease We eat the same foods and have problems. So these wonderful anti-inflammatory enzymes and proteins found in the raw whey protein, for example, is found in there. All these things are now so bad for you. When literally, in the previous discussion, we talked about how fantastic these things were babies. It makes no sense whatsoever, and the human experience has borne this out to be completely true. And at least eight huge studies in Europe show this to be completely true. Kids that drink raw milk and all the other elements have been reduced out of the thing to study to find raw milk being the major thing. Reduced allergies, reduced eczema, reduced ear infections, reduced uh, mucus, colds, all the problems associated with pasteurized milk, they don't have much improved. So pasteurized milk and raw milk could not be more polar opposite in terms of what they do for your body. Very allergenic, non-allergenic. Great for asthma, triggers asthma. You know, very, very interesting how we've created this very allergenic food that's hard to digest. Many people have a huge problem with lactose intolerance in pasteurized milk, but in raw milk, rare if ever, rare if ever. We see this all the time saying, oh, I tried some and oh my gosh, I normally be on the toilet by now, but I love it, give me some more. Mm -hmm. And by the way, by the next week you go, I can't believe it, I can eat not only raw milk, but other pasteurized dairy products because you've reseeded the gut with the beneficial bacteria and fed them, and you've actually rejuvenated your ability to digest things like lactose without the presence of lactase and lactobacillus bacteria. So raw milk is a fantastic dairy product to allow you to do other dairy products which may not even be raw. Mm. I mean, it's a fantastic way to recover your gut. So that's just a, a, just a shot across the bow to begin the discussion about raw milk being whole food, easily digestible, and when people wake up to it, they go crazy. They go, they become passionate, really passionate consumers about this. And my son Aaron sent some uh, pictures over to us this morning. He's doing a ride along with some of our delivery people in Northern California. He said, why is it that our product's the only Dairy Keys product that's always sold out? <laughs> you know, if we got the Sprouts or, or, or wherever that product might be sitting, and the product's always deshelved, it's just empty, and all the other stuff was just completely faced, and everything's like squared away, and then the raw dairy's like gone. And they say, watch out, it looks like a bunch of football players coming in there knocking people over when they know the truck has arrived. That first day, you see this stampede of moms going, I get my raw milk, 
I want to get it early. I want to quit. I know when the truck arrives. I'm not waiting until later in the week. I mean, it's all out. So there's a passion associated with that because we know, the consumers know what a miracle is for their kids. When their kids don't have snotty noses, poop better, sleep all night, that's a Mary Saver, by the way. Um, they don't have ear infections, right? Their asthma either doesn't exist or gets better. They, they don't get the flu, or if they do, it's very short-lived. Their immune systems work. That is incredible good at what we do. Not to mention the fact that there's a couple of the brands in California of raw milk, but they're not certified organic, and they don't have pasture. And we're very, very proud of the fact that those brands sell literally twice the cost, and they virtually don't move. And we have been able, because of our sensitivity to our consumers, be very, very sensitive to price point. You keep our product down at some place where you can afford it, even though it's very expensive at $17 a gallon, competition's at 38 wow. and that's $10 a quart. Okay. So we're, we're proud of the fact we've been able to control that cost so everybody can, well, not everybody, most everybody that really wants to make a priority and put their Starbucks to the side will choose, or that car wash, will choose to get ROM up for their family because it's such a big, great benefit. And we haven't just gone, oh, we got the market, let's just jam it to 50 bucks a gallon. No, 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 no. We have that compassion because we're consumer connected that we're gonna get beat up by people if we take one more penny. And we just gotta really listen to people and do the best we can because this is not about money. This is about karma. <laughs> this is about healthy kids. This is about future that's better than we left it before. This is about good humanity, which really drives you at a different level. And we feel that very, very much. Speaking of passion, you said there's other down out there and on your shirt it says sunshine and green grass. So right. speak of what 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 <laughs> makes make like your... the, yeah, the grass fed and the key is the grass. So tell us more about that. Well grass, there's lots of reason why grass is mm -hmm. good. Uh, start off it's the right kind of conditions where you're not gonna find a lot of bad bugs. Mm -hmm. It's a great set of conditions where sun drenched grass pastures are constantly rejuvenating. And the pathogenic bacteria, let's say Listeria or E. coli at 157 or Campylobacter or Salmonella, simply don't predominate in that environment. Um, it's a le they're lesser forms or not there, one or the other. It's just filled with good bacteria, the lactobacillus type bacteria, the coliforms, uh, bifidobacteria. That's the kind of stuff you find out. The yogurt-like bacteria, the good digestive bacteria found out there, and they outcompete the bad bugs. So you have this living environment that's sun-drenched, which is a great set of conditions for your cows to lay down in, so they're not covered in bad bugs juxtaposed to the CAFO operation is laying down in nothing but a pile of, you know what, covered in flies and antibiotics and hormones and grain fed. So the conditions really matter. Let's start out with conditions. So really an optimal set of conditions is to be in pasture. Second, the omega-3 fatty acids and CLA values are completely different. So you have high CLA that's conjugated linoleic acid, which is a very, very powerful antioxidant. We're all concerned about antioxidant because that fights cancer. And uh, the omega-3 fatty acid ratios are really good. So that's the good fats, not the bad fats. That's all based on a pasture-based diet for the cows. Plus it looks beautiful and the cows are really happy there. It's cooler. Uh, vitamin D levels are very, very high because guess what? Sunshine, not a bunch of shade inside of a building on top of manure or on top of nothing. They're out in a place where they can naturally do what they normally do. That's just the beginning. Can you think of any other benefits that cows have on pasture? Well, it's humane. It kind of goes with... Um the happy part, but uh, a cow that has less stress, she's a content cow, she's going, her immune system is going to respond, so she's going to be a healthier cow. A healthier cow makes healthier milk, so it's a food safety aspect as well, but just like humans, when we're under stress, we're more prone to getting sick, so we look for ways to minimize our stress or have a way to, to reduce our stress, and there's nothing more 
beautiful or just joyous than to watch the cow go from her green pasture to like a new green pasture right next to it. She's all kicking her heels and up. They're She's all running. happy. They're they're like playing tag so with each cows other. Come from yes, but that that <laughs> releases endorphins. That makes a cow happy, and so I think it's all it's just the right thing to do. They like it. The the milk is a higher quality, and it's a, a at every junction when you think about nature. Carbon sequestration is really enhanced with pasture feeding. In fact, it's been acknowledged by the World Health Organization and the UN that it would be a huge carbon reduction if we could pasture our cows more. So, what so are all these things? What are conventional cows fed? Soy, corn. I the think cheapest even thing you can get. Fried products. I think Return there's even donuts, potato chips, anything you can. But oh yeah, anything because nobody's M&Ms, watching, nobody cares, and all you want to do is get energy in that cow to create milk because. Guess what? They're not getting paid enough to pay to buy anything of quality. The milk prices right now are so low. Uh, Hi there. Their sister, and you are? Jordan. Jordan. Nice to meet you. Uh, the milk prices are under cost of production. So when you get $15 per 100 pounds of milk, that's a little over, maybe about 30 a gallon, it costs you 17 to 18 to break even. Something's going to break. So you, you try to feed that cow anything you can as cheaply as possible because you want to keep her with energy so you can actually produce milk. So they're byproducts of industry. Um, you know, you see people doing carrot rinds. You see peach fields. Carrot rinds are good. Yeah, that's not bad. But, I mean, they, they go everywhere they can to get the cheapest thing possible. Distiller's grains are a huge part of it. The ethanol industry producing ethanol for cars, which is a big thing nowadays for biofuels, they have a tremendous amount of grain distiller's grains as a byproduct, those are actually given to, to com- uh, the CAFO cows as a mainstay product, which is, if you listen to the echo and what I've just said, went back 90, 100 years, mm-hmm. 1890s, distiller's grains, mm-hmm. wrong pH of the gut. Mm-hmm. So we're revisiting in a different way, instead of distiller's grains for humans drinking their rum, we're now distiller's grains for ethanol on our cars being fed to the same CAFO. So it's kind of very interesting to see there is no preparation at all in the capo industry to prepare raw milk for human consumption. That milk is intended for pasteurization, and thou shalt not consume it raw mm-hmm. because it's got everything wrong with it. Yeah. So you better be intending on feeding your cows in the right kind of conditions with all the other things if you intend on having your game on to be with people versus the pasteurizer. There's two kinds of raw milk in America. Raw milk for the pasteurizer, raw milk for people. The raw milk for people is, you gotta look for it. It's not something commonly produced. Yeah, and, and um and I like how the, and your dairy is very transparent. You know, you have people come by and you Just have, like that. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Like glass. The more the merrier. Touring, the mm-hmm. Camping with the Cows event mm-hmm. we have every year, mm-hmm. our uh, Facebook posts, mm-hmm. pictures, welcoming people to tour all the time. It's the only way you really, really affirm the integrity of your product is to have people say, come be our friend and see for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. So other people, yeah, they don't have to listen to what you tell them. They can actually Check draw the conclusions for yeah. themselves. Like yeah. even a picture is worth a thousand words, yeah. too, just to yeah. see that, you know, the happy cows. Or um, Earth, Earth Google is a great way <laughs> yeah, to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go see about that. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Not hiding anything. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, I remember there were some farms I read about where they said, this was their address, but when you go there, they're not quite there. They're in another little warehouse somewhere else. <laughs> well, so let's, playing this little let's show talk games. about that. And it's a big deal right now. It's a big deal. It's hurting my friends. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of friends in the organic uh, dairy industry. They're not producing raw, but they're doing a great job in organics. They're pasturing their cows. They're doing everything they try to be. They're doing the very best they can. Mm-hmm. They're being cheated big time by some CAFO operators mm-hmm. in Colorado and in Texas that are getting their certifications through QAI. I'm going to call them out. 
Okay. Quality Assurance International. And in fact, one of the names is, is the Aurora Dairy. They've been sued by Cornucopia. They've been brought before the bench. And it's corrupt what's going on. They are producing milk and not pasture feeding their cows and calling it organic. There is a national federal law, the USDA law for the NOP, the National Organic Plan, requires that your cows be pastured and receive 30% of the dry matter take, uh, intake from pastures for 120 days a year. They are not doing that. Wow. And they're getting authorization to sell their milk into the organic markets. When you have an 8,000 cow dairy, you need 5,000 acres to pasture, I guarantee you. They don't they have a few hundred acres next door. And they put some of their heifers out there, the dry cows. They do not pasture their cows, but yet they dump this tsunami of milk into the organic markets that have killed the organic market for these dairymen. Now, I've got friends that are losing their dairies because of the fact that they used to get twenty, uh, used to get thirty-five to forty dollars per hundred weight. Mm-hmm. Now they half the time they get twenty-five to thirty, and sometimes they have to sell them up conventionally because mm-hmm. there's just this deluge of this fraudulently produced mm-hmm. milk, and that's tragic because some of the, some of the Horizon brands are being packaged there. Mm-hmm. The Kirkland brands, some of these, they're going to the big box stores, mm-hmm. they're selling organic. Yeah. The unknowing consumers are actually buying that milk, which is not based on organic principles in the pasture-based realm. And you can tell on our butter, we bought the butter from this operation. It's pale, mm-hmm. and you look at ours, it's nice yellow. <laughs> so it's very transparent that you're gonna get these wonderful increases in the vitamin content from cows eating pasture and the chlorophyll content of green grass versus some other organic, but yet not pasture-based kind of dry thing they get in their, their right. loafing stall. I mean, you think people, I mean, it's pretty not say, I mean, obviously, they're trying to cop- copy what you're doing, but they don't want to do all the work. Oh, you know, like I'm the, saying, like put the expense in. trying to, they mm-hmm. want to do it on the cheap, like you know, right on the, the backs of. Yeah, they, want they see you're, there's a demand. Order. There's mm-hmm. this, there's okay. um, you're successful, you're right. high quality stuff, and they just want to do it as they cheap as possible. The one, the one thing organic. about raw milk is you can't cheat raw milk. Mm-hmm. If you it, cheat yeah. raw milk, you're going to make somebody sick, mm-hmm. or something's going to go wrong. So there's an innate value to the hard work of producing raw milk. However, in the organic community, where you do raw milk intended for pasteurization, you can cheat like crazy because you can have a big CAFO. If you don't pasture your cows, you can get away with pretty much all the practices, except for antibodies yeah. and hormones, of the CAFO operator mm-hmm. and dump all this milk in there, which you're going to render, quote, safe because you pasteurize it. Yeah, nuke it. So how, okay. You're, so that's about dollar consumer, voting in exactly. education. Exactly, so yeah. for dollar voting, but how's the consumer going to know that? They go in the store, they say, it says organic. they look at our organic, Happy organic milk. <laughs> they reach for it. So how, how are you doing a campaign for education, or how does a, uh, how does a consumer or where people find your like, product? I am beating my chest right now for all my fellow organic mm-hmm. dairymen out there, mm-hmm. and I'm so happy that I'm not involved in that community too t- tightly because we sell our milk on our own brand, mm-hmm. and we do our own thing. But nonetheless, I have a lot of dear friends out there that I really mm-hmm. support, and that is the consumers beware. If you're looking for the CLA values, looking for omega-3 fatty acids, looking for pasture, you're looking for uh, carbon sequestration and true organic uh, in the pasteurized environment, even the yogurts are pretty good and the cheeses are pretty good, even when pasteurized. But pasteurized milk, I've never been a supporter of. I'm just not really there. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is, if you're going to look for animal welfare and you look for these other things that you assume are in that value, look a little deeper. Look a little deeper. The cornucopia.org organization uh, has done dairy ratings. Okay. And I'm proud to have a five-star rating, thank you very much. <laughs> These other dairies are not even rated mm-hmm. because their ethical standards are so in the toilet. Mm-hmm. And so look for uh, the Cornucopia uh, Institute ratings, mm-hmm. which actually has a full transparency. Do they pasture? Do they do this? Do they do that? Do they have a website? Do they have transparency? Do they tour their farms? And see how they're rated. And go for the four and five stars. Don't go for the ones that are not even there. Mm-hmm. 
they don't want to have any kind of transparency. So transparency and knowing your farmer, knowing your farmer, which is not an easy thing to do when you go buy a, a box brand that says Horizon or Organic Valley or whatever, because you don't really know who your farmer was because 50 dairies are combined together to make that milk. Yeah. But I will say, generally speaking, most brands try to their best. Uh, Clover's Genetic, great job in California. We have individual farmers doing a great job in Northern California. Fantastic brand. Strauss, fantastic mm -hmm. brand. Organic, Organic Valley is a good brand, good mm -hmm. people there. Um, but beware of what's going on with like the horizons of the world and those commercialized opportunistic brands are just mm -hmm. taking advantage of the trust that consumer has for the word organic mm -hmm. and actually taking advantage of that and not doing true organic work. Yeah. So people can find your website or how do they get your products? Organicpastures.com. We have a zip code locator. Mm -hmm. You can put your zip code in and it'll tell you the 10 closest stores to the farm. So mm -hmm. You do nationwide or you just west coast? And, yeah, our cheese just got released at 290 of the sprout stores nationally. So, oh, wow. a little bit of organic pastures dairy is now in all the southern states. Everything, Colorado, all the way to Florida, all, uh, and 290 sprout stores now are cheese. Our truly raw organic cheese is there. We use the same milk that we produce for milk, super high quality milk in our, our truly raw cheese, which is not fake raw cheese, there's a difference. Truly raw cheese never got above body temperature, 100 degrees or so. Oh. Where fake raw cheese can go right up below pasteurization. Mm. and still call it raw. Because in the United States, we don't have that class of, of milk called thermalized milk, which is above 110 degrees to 150 degrees. It's not thermalized quite, like Canada does. There, yeah. Now you can cook it up almost below pasteurized, or if you don't own a pasteurizer or have a license to pasteurize, you can actually pasteurize it and still call it raw because you didn't have a license to pasteurize. You did not technically pasteurize it. That's frightening. And that's really sad because the true value of raw cheese comes in that alpha phosphatase enzyme I was talking about and grass feeding and all those things that are fantastic that were found in the French Paradox. You're only going to find that in a truly raw cheese. Yeah, so speak of the French Paradox. We want to hear about French Paradox. Jean-Paul Lyles, mm -hmm. great researcher out of Paris in 2016, was intrigued by the French Paradox and how the French Paradox must be more than just the red wine and the resveratrol found in the red, red wine. There's got to be more to the diet. What's with the Mediterranean diet and the French diet? where all the things consumed like that here in the United States, you get heart disease yeah. and early death and diabetes and obesity, but, but there you don't. There's a paradox, why? And so he did, started digging around and he found, well, you know what? These French, they love their cheese and it's all raw. <laughs> they get 22 kilograms of cheese a year, which is like 55 pounds or something cheese. There's a lot of cheese, a pound a week of this cheese. Per person. Per person. Per person. Per person. Great. I'm signing up there. Per person. This is good I cheese. Love, I love cheese. And this is not pasteurized. This is raw milk cheese. And a lot of cows are pasture grazed. And they found an enzyme called the alpha phosphatase enzyme. Well, alpha phosphatase, lo and behold, if you look a little deeper in the pasteurized milk ordinance of the FDA in the United States of America, when you have a negative alpha phosphatase test, you've effectively nuked your milk. You've pasteurized your milk. Hmm. We've killed the French paradox in terms of the value found in that cheese because he found that the alpha phosphatase enzyme and probably some other things like raw whey proteins and things were sustaining this anti-inflammatory complex of the diet. That with the red, red wine, the relaxation, the breaks in the <laughs> afternoon, God knows what else. These people are doing great and we're not doing so great. So it's really tra quite tragic that we see this enzyme which is critical and it's the third most prevalent enzyme found in raw milk completely destroyed, in fact, intentionally so, and measured to be so under our pasteurized milk ordinance, that in fact, we've annihilated the French paradox for America. Wow. Pretty powerful stuff, it you know? Powerful. So we're, it's a great awakening here. The internet is really holding no uh, secrets. It's the moms are, <laughs> the, you know, this, this is PubMed published stuff. This is NIH published. They've got it there. 
but nobody dares speak of it because it's so contradictory to, to, contradictory to the industrial food complex mm -hmm. and the antibiotics and all the other things. They're a much louder voice. The data is there. PubMed is huge. That's peer-reviewed, internationally regarded as science. It's right there, along with eight other huge studies coming from Europe that nobody wants to talk about, but there it is. <laughs> PubMed, NIH, big-time stuff. So, yeah, so what's new? Um, I, I saw there was a big announcement on your Facebook, on Facebook yeah. Live about short codes. Tell us a little bit about that. When we load our trucks up with milk every week, we head off to all these stores. It's a lot of work. And not all the milk sells. Sometimes it's a little high. Mm -hmm. Some weeks, I'm a little bit low one week. But we give it one shot for that milk to be delivered, and if it doesn't get delivered, it stays in the truck. It goes back to our hub. Well, mm -hmm. it had a day or two shorter code date than it did when it was going to be delivered to the store. So instead of having maybe 13 days or 14 days to code, it maybe has nine days. Well, we decided instead of taking it back to the farm and selling it to hogs or don't whatever, mm -hmm. we can sell it to people at a discount. So we have a 50% off, roughly 50%, it's oh, wow. plus or minus, at our hubs. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to carry the back to Fresno and spend the diesel on it and unload it. It goes to people, and we always, always, always say that when raw milk goes bad, it, it's not going bad. It's going good. It actually, because yeah. it ferments, and you can make kefir out of it, and the beneficial bacteria just start to increase and increase. And what we do is you can manifestly make that into kefir, mm -hmm. which is fantastic food. Yeah. And so we have all this product going good. Yeah. at the hubs for half off and it's great because we've got people already going crazy crazy over that which is really cool because it becomes a more price uh, accessible food because mm -hmm. it is expensive I'm mm -hmm. going to say it first friend. Mm -hmm. we don't get a lot of profit out of this product we're sustainable which means we pay our bills a little bit of profit which we reinvest back into things like education well, you don't do that if you didn't if you do it for the money, you're in, you're in the wrong business. business. Thank you. You know that whole story. You do it for the passion. You do it for the goodness of it. You do it to sustain the environment and the food chain. But that's what's going on at the hub sales now. And so we've got products being offered. How do you find How does um, somebody interested? Lankersheim and uh, I-5 is our Southern California hub. And okay. Every Saturday morning, we have a hub sale there. And it's on our website, okay. so organicpastures.com. And then we have one up in Hayward, California, where we have a hub sale. I think it's every Tuesday now. We're having one up there. So it's a great way to get to know your farmer yeah. a little bit and also get products at, at literally half off. But uh, must disclose that it's first come, first serve, mm -hmm. and it's not it's on yeah, an availability yeah. And raw milk consumers yeah. tend to be hoarders, so be, be there early with an elbow. <laughs> so so would you, would you pre-order or just show up at the hub? No, 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 show up at the hub, first of, yeah, but then get to know the hub manager. Okay, Say, hey, I want to be your best buddy. I've got some strawberries for you. That's great. fresh produce? How and you know what? Like I, I, give me a jingle, because okay. what we do is collect email addresses and text numbers. And what we'll do is, hey, by the way, on, on Saturday, uh, don't come, there's no product, or come, there's a ton. Mm. So we can actually keep people connected. Okay. So real quick, you can get, you know, pick it up on your cell phone that, hey, there's product on Saturday morning or there's not, or you can speak for it and set it aside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can cut all kinds of deals with people when you know them. It's great. <laughs> That's great. Farm fresh produce, kind of. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We can get some eggs. <laughs> raw honey. Raw honey. No, we, we really want to sustain people and uh, some people have eight, ten kids and, and families and stuff. Yeah. They just simply can't afford yeah, that. But they can certainly afford something that's uh, a little bit less. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Like you said, growing the milk as it ages, it's going good. People don't think that. Mm -hmm. That's it's, right. That's almost the best stuff to actually And you keep consume. it in cold chain. Mm -hmm. We have a really good cold chain. It doesn't tend to sour for two weeks or more. Yeah. And the souring becomes... You can do stuff with it. You can do all kinds of yeah. stuff with it. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens slowly. Yeah, you can kind of well, skin the top and do... Why, why get a... a, a, a the price, you know, the premium price for milk that you're going to turn into yogurt. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah, Drink exactly. that, then use the mm -hmm. secondary to do your yogurts and other things yeah, with that. Yeah, because I, I do like chickens, and I try to get, not, I mean, I was trying to get 
all the milk that's being dumped. Right. But Chicken's they won't give it to me again. I'm like, no, you don't understand. When you skim off the top and you give them that sour milk, it's the best stuff for them. Chicken's but they can't give it, it to harder us. Eggs yeah, too. It does. Yeah. The harder eggshells, like, shells, I should say. Yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to get all the milk people dump, but they won't give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the old time farmers would feed their their chickens. Yeah, it says because you wouldn't get calcium in the middle of like Iowa. So you're, you're not going to get oyster products. shells, sorry. So you're right. Like, mm-hmm. you're right. And, yeah. you know, if you look at traditional recipes and how we used to eat a couple hundred years ago, clabbered milk, yep, clabbered where milk. they intentionally soured, soured it, it to the point that it got clabbered and chunky. And, you know, <laughs> honestly, it sounds, doesn't sound too appealing for the modern Because uh, you're not person. used to that. You're used mm-hmm. to sour but Pasteurized milk, is disgusting. Clabbered <laughs> milk is very delicious. And it goes from sour to kind of sweet again. It's really a wonderful. Uh, I don't know if Evolution. you've ever tried to clabber milk, but it's really mm-hmm. fun to do. And it's delicious. I will warn you, though, clabbering our milk is not easy because it's so clean. You've done such a good job of milking the cows. You need, you need, to, you need to have a, a container which has actually got old milk in it or add some yogurt or something because you need to initiate it. You can, starters, you can clabber our milk, starter, but it takes yeah. you a while. You have to put some bacteria in it. Yeah, because it's so clean. Uh, we, we have this really, 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 really good food safety plan where all you're getting is good, clean milk from healthy cows. And over the last thousand years, that's not the way it's been. Even the Maasai in, in Kenya, where they, they get the milk, it's mm-hmm. the gourd from last week that wasn't washed, that you squirt the milk in, and that's the local culture that makes their kefir. Oh. So, I mean, mm. why wash it? It's good, right? Because it's yeah. going to inoculate the milk. Yeah. And that makes it fantastically sweet. You can smell in the gourd. Oh, my God, it's delicious. They don't have regulators, too. They don't have regulators. Yeah, we have to have absolutely clean environment, and all you're getting is raw milk against a stainless steel plate. Mm. So it's very much just the milk cleanly mm-hmm. collected from the cow. So clabbering our milk is, can be a little bit more challenging. Mm. Just inoculated. Yeah, they're yeah, just inoculated a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Save a little bit of the your soured milk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a little oh, bucket. by the way, our kefir, uh-huh. our home up kefir that's come out is really popular. You can take a little tablespoon of that and put in your raw milk, and that'll clabber it. So you do milk, butter. We make whole milk. Uh-huh. We make skim milk, which is we love it, but it's not it's not terribly popular. Everybody's going for the fat. Mm-hmm. Good fat's where it's at. Um, cream, which is a forty percent butter fat cream. Forty five. Yeah, it, it, it whips out beautiful, and I tell you what, that with strawberries is like awesome. It's pretty impressive. Um, we make a cheddar cheese, which has uh, got some salt. Is it kind of sea salt we have? It's a cultured, cultured butter, cultured, and, cultured butter and also salted butter. Um, we use this wonderful sea salt in in the products. We also make uh, and those are sticks of butter, by the way, not tubs of butter anymore. Mm-hmm. More of a European style. Um, what else? We make a whole milk kefir and a skim milk keeper. They're different products. The skim milk keeper is a little tart, a little sharper, a little tartar. It makes a really good smoothie. But then the whole milk keeper is much more full mouthfeel, creamier, mm. and less tart. So everybody that's tasted the whole milk keeper just guzzles it, just loves it. But then the, the people that make the smoothies like the, the skim milk keeper. So they're kind of different products. That's what we make. That's what we make. Sounds good. Yeah. So we're about to wrap up. What would you like to... Yeah, we could talk for hours. That's a problem. <laughs> sure. This is like something that, you know, can go on because we're passionate, like, you know, the, just the food and, and the lifestyle and, and, and what it does for your health. But yeah. what would, it, like, the last thing you would say to, to our listeners or, or people in general, and, you know, words of advice or just some, you know, maybe what what you'd like to, you know, see um, in general with the your future yeah, or the future. Yeah, or family. We're family-based. Mm-hmm. We're local. Uh, we are completely committed to California in terms of feeding and nutrition. 38 million people that live here. Our um, children are our children working with are us. Very, uh, my son works full-time. He's got his MBA. 
uh, works logistics of distribution beautifully. My daughter got a degree. She works in the marketing department along with Marcy. And so we're a family business completely committed to families in California. The reason I say California, not other states, is we are committed because we can't go across mm -hmm. state lines with raw milk. We're, we're, lose the value. Except for, well, the FDA prohibits it. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is we can sell raw <laughs> cheese across state lines and it does go. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. The biggest challenge we have is that people don't recognize what they don't have in their lives. All they have is pasteurized dairy products and they have had a bad experience. What I would ask them to do, what I'd ask everyone to do is please appreciate they have never experienced raw milk. They don't know what they're missing. If they've experienced pasteurized milk, they probably have some sinus problems, probably have congestion. They've got left allergies, lactose intolerance. That is not the experience you're going to have with raw milk. Now, this comes from a guy who's extremely biased, Mark McAfee, right? <laughs> we produce raw milk. But I would not be the third ranked brand of America, and I would not be passionately, repeatedly, and selling our products before, before becoming third, because you look at the numbers. Every, but the bottom line is, I would not be here, because when you sell, sell snake oil, you sell it once, you run out of town as fast as you can, because they're chasing you, you get their money back. That's not what's going on here. This is true, 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 true. And we're bringing forth a serious answer to questions people have in their families about nutrition for their kids. Breast milk is raw milk, and kids thrive on it. So I'd please ask people to be kids open. Of all ages. Op kids of all ages. <laughs> the elderly open your mind. Recognize that the microbiome of your body is critical when you have to nourish it. There's good good bacteria, bacteria and prebiotics. The vegetables you produce here yes. are the prebiotics. Proteins, the probiotics, the oligosaccharides, the good fats. All these things. These are the God-given foods we need to be ingesting in our lives to be truly healthy. Mm -hmm. And truly, the answer to our health is not more frequent uh, visits to the doctor. Yeah. That's an emergency Hail Mary. We need to be preventing that, thank you very much. We can't afford going to the doctor. So open your minds to think about nutrition as the basis of health versus more frequent drives to the doctor. That's what I'd ask you to do because the answer really comes from nutrition. It comes from the earth we live on. It comes from the things we consume, the environments. Make sure you get enough love in your life. Make sure you live in an environment which is as clean as you can get it to be in terms of clean, in terms of good air and, and good soils, but then embrace what you put in your body. And that is truly the key to longevity. The Queen of England drinks raw milk. <laughs> and her mom did. She lived, lived to be 102 years old and didn't have a disease in her body. The bottom line is, it's been the food that sustained life on Earth for a long, long time. Yeah. If you had raw milk, you didn't have to grow a garden, you didn't have to hunt for, hunt for things because you had sunshine and grass and a cow or a goat or a sheep or a camel. You didn't starve tonight. Yeah. It's been a truly advancement for the last thousands of years for mankind to have a competitive advantage in the environment. If you ever watched the movie Naked and Afraid, trust me, they would just be overjoyed to have a goat run up and feed that goat and milk the cow, milk the goat. They wouldn't starve, you know, that mm -hmm. whole thing. We really do have a paradigm which is broken and we need to fix it, look how to fix it. And the answers are here. It's just a matter yeah. of we have our minds open enough to embrace it and then experience it and we can really truly believe it. It's beautiful. Wow. And the last thing I would say, is the big black mark of raw milk being unsafe mm -hmm. is a 100-year-old story. It's not a new story. <laughs> to, to, I, won't, I won't name this guy's <laughs> name, but he's the foremost researcher of breast milk in the world, mm -hmm. UC Davis. He said, pasteurization is an 18th century solution to an 18th century problem. We wow. can do a whole lot better, mm -hmm. and we have. Uh, my presentation tonight at the Culture Club is called Making World-Class Milk. People are looking to California as an example of how you can do it right. Remember I was talking about Burger King and mm -hmm. Jack in the Box and 
E. coli 0157 mm -hmm. pathogens. Well, that same group of providers that were bringing ground beef to Jack in the Box invested millions of dollars and years of lab technology to figure out how to detect that pathogen in eight to 10 hours. We use that same test now. The Bax PCR test can now check a, a little sample of milk and see whether it has a bad bug in it or not right now within eight to 10 hours, instead of waiting three to four days. So we're capitalizing and leveraging on the investments made by industry in reducing E. coli 0157 and using that in raw milk to assure that we don't have bad bugs in our milk. So it's safe, it's nutritious, and it's life-giving to your children's immune systems, and you'll have a different life outcome from your kids. That's kind of my big thing, but I'll tell you, it's hard to get moms to wake up in terms of there's a possibility outside mm -hmm. of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, mental block mostly. Yeah, yeah it's it a mental is. block. Open that mental block. There's yeah. a bigger... And there's a whole mountain of moms out there. They're going, yeah, go for it. We love it. I don't know if it's the, the antibacterial thing or dirt is bad and all we that use stuff. Bacteria. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's, it scares it's people. The, it's the culture that's that slant. It's that... It's sterile. Everything's, everything's sterile. sterile white, the advertising. Yes. The white sugar, white bread. Nobody eats that stuff. No. Not, not even the... No, not even, not not even, even the, the bad rats will eat some of the stuff. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> it's like, if a rat doesn't eat it, how, what, why are you, why are you it? They don't, they don't recognize it as food. Yeah, yeah no, I know. They don't. So even, like I said, even our goat. When we gave her, it, we, we would get, the treat was organic oats, and we'd get the organic oats from our, um, our co-op. We ran out, ran to the store, got, got the, 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 the conventional thing, oh, and we fed her, turned her nose, I bet. She said, she hated non-organic brown I sugar as a treat. Treat. She, she wanted organic brown sugar, organic chips. So, yeah, she did not like any of the other Turn stuff. Turn her nose up. She's like, oh, that's not food. But feed your kid it. Oh, but here's the thing. And you know, and the and the kitties, they all only go for their organic oh, the cream. Kitties. Oh, the kitties. Organic the kitties, cream. Yeah, They'll turn their nose. Oh, if we run out and go to the store, just like, oh, they're just cats. It's for cats. What are they going to know? Yeah. Oh, they know. They know. They're like, yeah. nope, that's yeah. not that's not the cream, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not stupid. So, um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank My you. pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for being we a enjoyed, teacher. Yeah, thank we you. enjoyed it. Thanks it for doing what you do in California. Yeah, thank you so much You're for bringing the, it's a pleasure the food to, be here. to the people. So, yeah. so thank um, to our listeners for tuning in, and um, we hope to um, catch us back here next time. Go <laughs> Urban <laughs> Homestead. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs>